There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on Thursday the 28th of January 2010. For the newcomers out there, you should look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com websites. Bookmark the other ones I have up there for future use because the big ones do go down once in a while. And that way you'll be able to pull up the latest shows for downloads. Now remember, there's cuttingthroughthematrix.com there's cuttingthroughthematrix.net.us.ca, Alan Watt, cuttingthroughthematrix.ca, and there's also cuttingthrough.jenkness.com and alanwattsentinel.eu. That EU site, the European site, has all the audios for download, but it has addition of transcripts of a lot of the talks I've given over the years, and you can download them for prints up and choose from the various languages of Europe. And for my tin can minutes, this is where I rattle the tin can. I'll have to find a tin can and, and rattle a few pennies in it. But this is when I try to wake you up and remind you that while you're thinking that everybody else is going to donate or help me out here, uh, you're all thinking the same thing at the same time and waiting for someone else to do it. So it's up to you to keep me going. Remember, I'm not getting paid by the advertisers here. The ads on this show are paid by the advertisers straight to RBN for the airtime. It pays for their staff and their equipment and the transmission through, through satellite and all the rest of it. So you have to help me out by donating to me or buying the books and so on that I have for sale at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And if you go into that site, you'll find out how to pay for, for the books and so on or donate. You can use personal checks from the U.S. to Canada. You can use international postal money orders from the U.S. to Canada or cash as well. You can use Western Union and MoneyGram too. Uh, same outside the Americas, Western Union, MoneyGram, uh, cash if you want to send it. PayPal is another option because if you want to purchase through PayPal, just send a separate email along with the PayPal donation and I'll get it out to you. And that works very well, too. For those who get the disc burned and passed to them and don't like to play on their computers, uh, you play in your CD players, you can write to me at Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estaire, Ontario, Canada. And the postal code is P, as in Peter, the number 3, E, as in Elizabeth, the number 4, N, as in Nora, and the number one, P3E4N1. But it's important that you do that because, you see, pretty well all the hosts out there make their money from advertising and they get uh, payments every time they mention advertisers or bring them on as guests. I'm the exception to the rule. Uh, that way I've got a free hand to say and do as I wish. But it really puts the onus on you to keep me going. It's expensive doing what I'm doing 
from this place here. It's not one hour per night. Uh, this takes hours and hours into the next day to upload to my site after the, the broadcast show because ExploreNet, the satellite company, got the word from someone up in the government to give me a hard time of it. They don't like what I'm saying, apparently. And they've cut me down to almost uh, above dial-up speed. Down to six uh, kilobits per second the other nights there. No kidding. That's what it crawled down to. And anything below 50, uh, you, you, it drops. Your upload drops, and you have to start all over again, over and over and over again. Very frustrating, but that's how the real world is, and that's how the dirty tricks are really carried out, with plausible deniability on the server's part. So it's up to you to keep me going, as I say, and uh, I depend on your help. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. I've talked before about politicians, well I've talked ad nauseum about politicians, and how really uh, studies were done on the past uh, on, on psychopathic personalities. They used to think the psychopaths were the, were the lowest street crime type that could see something in a window and they have no tolerance of frustration so they smash the window and steal it. Uh, that's what they used to uh, find very, very often. But, of course, uh, because um, psychiatrists themselves tended to come from an upper class, it never dawned on them to look into, is it possible that, that uh, psychopaths go all the way up into the upper class? And, lo and behold, studies were done back in the 60s and 70s, and they were shocked to find there certainly were psychopaths in the upper class, lots and lots and lots of them, in fact. And they found that many of them went into politics, which shouldn't surprise us because the, the psychopath is addicted to power and an easy time of it. He likes uh, conning people. He gets off on the con, uh, manipulating people. In fact, that's the talent of the psychopath. They have no real convictions on anything, but they become great leaders of convictions when they smell the wind is going off in a certain direction. They, they pop up all over the place as leaders. And uh, the general public never catch on to it, uh, how this personality really, really is. I can remember when Blair was talking about uh, his time in office, and it came up during the interview about Iraq, and he says, oh, that hassle, he says, and he dismissed it and went on to something else. Well, that hassle that he pushed so hard for, this one-man band that wanted to go to war uh, with Iraq, uh, uh, had who knows how many people killed, uh, but to him it was oh a hassle, you know. Now he's on to bigger and better things for his career. But that's the average politician, to be honest with you. Uh, they're lifelong politicians, and they are psychopathic. They have no empathy for others. They're egocentric. The world revolves around them, and all they have to do is save their ego. It doesn't matter what they've done or the circumstances they're found in. Or uh, they'll deny everything to save their ego. This article here is about the psychopath Blair, uh, and it's uh, it's from the Herald in Scotland. It says Blair selling his soul with six-figure speeches. 
This is what they do when they come out of politics, you know, the grounds and, and just rake in the cash. A lot of it is paybacks, mind you, for things they did during their time in office. This is a legal way of getting their payback, uh, either through books or whatever, where they're offered millions of pounds or dollars in advance. That's how you pay them off, you see. And directorships on companies, of which they don't even have to attend, and so many shares. But this is from the 25th of January, 2010. So Blair is set to receive a six-figure sum for giving a series of talks. And as I say, it's called Blair Selling His Soul with Six-Figure Speeches Deal. Well, personally, I don't think he's ever had a soul to, to, to sell it, to be honest with you. Um, maybe that's what a psychopath is. It says, Tony Blair is set to receive a six-figure sum for giving a series of talks to a hedge fund. Listen to this, to a hedge fund that reportedly made millions by betting on the collapse of British banks. There's integrity for you, eh? He's going to give a series of talks to a hedge fund that made millions of by betting on the collapse of the British banks. And, of course, the taxpayers of Britain had to, and still are, and for an awful long time to come, paying back all that stuff that was lost. Critics have accused Mr. Blair of selling his soul after details of his forthcoming private speeches to Lansdowne Partners emerged. Reports claim that company made one hundred million pounds on the demise of Northern Rock and twelve million pounds on the fall in the value of Barclays by short selling shares. Mr Blair, whose light touch regulation of the financial industry is criticized for having aided the credit crunch, well it certainly did, will give four talks on geopolitics. <laughs> to executives at the firm, I guess to teach them how to do it better and get more money the next time. He's become one of the world's highest paid public speakers with a string of engagements organized for him by the Washington Speakers Bureau. The former Prime Minister can command more than £150,000 for a 90-minute talk. He's estimated to have earned at least £15 million since leaving office with highly paid lobbying jobs. So there you go, you see. Lobbying, he knows all the guys in government. High-paid lobbying jobs and a four and a half million pound advance for his memoirs. Now here's another good part too. He joined J.P. Morgan, the third largest bank in the U.S., as a senior advisor on global politics, with a reported salary of two million pounds. It's understood Mr. Blair will not be taking on a similar role at London-based Landown Partners. Last night, Peter Kilfoyle, Labour MP for Liverpool, Walton, said, Blair seems obsessed with making money. Well, he's a good, well, he was a Labour man, wasn't he? This rich Oxford boy uh, that all these schmucks voted for, thinking he was a Labour man, you know, the workers. He says, Blair seems obsessed with making money. It is not something I would associate with Labour politics, at least not to that degree. It's rather depressing that he seems to sell his soul. Mr. Kilfoyle said he did not think that Mr. Blair's latest round of money-making activities would surprise many Labour members. Well, see, they should understand what Fabians are. Fabians have no problem about getting stinking rich themselves. They're just obsessed with making everybody else dirt poor and allowing themselves to be bossed by the Fabians, you see. But there's psychopaths for you. Uh, talk about psychopath. Here's another one here. Uh, it's, uh, this one here is from Global Business from the New York Times. 27th of January, Davos, Switzerland. 
at Davos, Sarkozy calls for global financial rules. France wants to use its presidency of the Group of 20 next year to create a new international monetary system. President Nicolas Sarkozy said on Wednesday, adding that he believed the dollar should no longer be the primary reserve currency in the global economy. An expansive and lofty speech to the business and political leaders gathered here at the annual World Economic Forum. Mr. Sarkozy also called for a revolution, or whenever you hear that word, these guys mean business, a revolution in international regulation that would make labor, health, and environmental standards as enforceable as trade rules. We're really in for it. This is the whole biodiversity stuff here, environmental standards and so on. Like Prime Minister Gordon Brown of Britain, another Fabian, he backed attacks uh, on financial market transactions, but Mr. Sarkozy, pursuing his call for a more moral form of financial capitalism, suggested that the process be u- proceeds be used to combat climate change. So we're going to pay through the nose for this nonsense, this, this rubbish. It says, and create a world environment organization as powerful as the World Trade Organization. Mr. Sarkozy also took a hard line on bankers' bonuses, saying that lavish rewards should be denied to those who destroy wealth and jobs. Oh, what a liar this guy is. He'll never, he'll never touch the bank, his banking pals. But before an audience that contained many Americans and many Chinese, his comments on currencies may have had the greatest resonance. What he says, and I told you this at the very beginning, they want want Bretton Woods Part 2. So here is, this is what he told the Chinese. We need a new Bretton Woods, Mr. Sarkozy told the packed auditorium. We can't have on the line, on the one hand, a multipolar world and on the other, a single reserve currency on a global level. In a thinly veiled reference to China keeping its currency at an undervalued level, he added, we cannot, on the one hand, laud free markets and on the other, tolerate money dumping. During its 2011 presidency of the Group of Eight, the leading Western industrial powers plus Russia and the wider G20, which includes several important developing nations, France will put the reform of the international monetary system on the agenda, Mr. Sarkozy said. You see, remember I told you before, and I read some of the parts from uh, the speech given. Um, by the founder, really, the creator of Bretton Woods Part 1, and um, John Maynard Keynes. And he said in it, he says, uh, he said, I can see, we can see this. He also, it's almost like this New World Order speech that Bush Senior gave. But he says, um, we shall have uh, the system that we've dreamed of for, for, for generations, he says, but not in our lifetime. He says that this Bretton Woods Agreement is Part 1. The rest of it... This, the rest of this agreement, a whole shake-up and reorganization of financial institutions and society in general. He says it won't happen till, till uh, the end of the, the 20th century into the 21st. Well, here we are, bang on, and everyone will think this is just coincidence that Sarkozy and others are taking up the, 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 the cudgel, basically, to keep it all going. There's nothing by chance happens at all. Uh, plans are made by these characters, the organizations they belong to. Some of them are 50-year plans, some are 100, some are 150, some are 200. And that's what they do. They work steadily, intergenerationally towards it. And we, who live along with it, adapt to every step that we're thinking about it. 
in Article 2 on the, the climate gate nonsense, it says here, uh, Telegraph, university scientists in climate gate row hid data, uh, 28th of January 2010. John Beddington, chief scientist, says climate change skeptics should not be dismissed. Scientists had previously conceded that the speed with which glaciers in the Himalayas are melting had been greatly overhyped, greatly overhyped. I read the article yesterday where it was all bogus. This is in an email, Professor Jones requested that a colleague delete correspondence regarding a report by Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change published in 2007. The University of East Anglia rejected requests for information relating to claims by academic staff that global warming was being caused by man-made emissions. The Information Commissioner's Office ruled that the UAE was in breach of the Freedom of Information Act, an offence which is punishable by an unlimited fine. Back with more after these messages. Hi folks, this is Alan Watts and we're cutting through the matrix. In this article too it mentions that they, they can't prosecute these lying scientists that uh, hid and destroyed data to prove a political agenda. You see that's what it's all about, a political agenda and we all know what it is uh, because it was too late, you see. The complaints were made too late. They can't prosecute after six months after they've, they've uh, destroyed data and all that. So now they're trying to change the laws so the next time they, they lie to us uh, which is pretty well constantly, they can charge them. But that won't happen either, so don't hold your breath. On the same topic, though, this is from The Telegraph, and it was the 25th of January 2010 by James Dellingpole. It says, after Climate Gate, you got Pachuria Gate, Mayor Pachuri and his own private company, raking in millions of bucks, and Glacier Gate, the, the dream that somebody made up, that they all ran with, as though it was fact, then Amazon Gate. So it says, the anthropomorphic uh, global warming theory is toast. Man-made global warming's toast. So is Dr. Rajendra Pachuri. So is the Stern Review. So is the credibility of the IPCC. But if you think I'm cheered by this, you're very much mistaken. I'm trying to write a Climate Gate book, but the way things are going, by the time I'm finished, there won't be anything left to say. The battle will already have been won, and the only people left who still believe in man-made global warming will be the eco-loon equivalents of those wartime Japanese soldiers left abandoned and forgotten on remote Pacific atolls. Here's the latest development, courtesy of Dr. Richard North, and it's a cracker. It seems that not content with having lied to us about the shrinking glaciers, increasing hurricanes, rising sea levels... The IPCC's latest assessment report also told us a complete load of porkies about the danger posed by climate change to the Amazon rainforest. This is to be found in Chapter 13 of the Working Group 2 report, the same part of the IPCC fourth assessment report in which the Glacier Gate claims are made. There is the startling claim, and then it gives you it here what the claim was. Then it shows you how you look through it and see what's actually there. 
This is, uh, I guess, even better. The two expert authors of the World Wildlife Fund report, so casually cited by the IPCC as part of the, of the <clears throat> robust peer-reviewed process. Do you realize that this peer-reviewed process is other special interest groups that aren't scientists at all? I mean, I mean Prince Philip is at the head, I think, of the, the WWF. And the only thing that he's a specialist on is sniffing wines and telling them what they are. It says here... So, so there weren't even uh, Amazon specialists. One Dr. P.F. Moore is a, politi- a policy analyst. He says, my background and experience around the world has required and developed higher level policy and analytical skills. This is one of the guys that came out with the Amazon as dying stuff. I have a strong understanding of government administration, legislative review, analysis and inquiries generating through involvement in or management of the Australian Regional Forest Agreement process, an agreement process, a lawyer, right? Parliamentary and government inquiries, coronial inquiries and public submissions on water pricing, access and use rights and native vegetation legislation in Australia and fire and natural resource laws. This is the specialist that they can come out and tell you about glaciers melting and, and the Amazon's disappearing. He's a lawyer. Then he gives you another one too, another green, green activist for the Guardian newspaper that's all for this, by the way, Andy Rowell. It says, Andy Rowell is a freelance writer and investigative journalist with over 12 years' experience on environmental, food health and globalization issues. Rowell has undertaken cutting-edge investigations for, amongst others, action on smoking and health. <laughs> He's one of these these guys who go around dampening the spirits of everybody else, you know. The Campaign of Tobacco-Free child- Children. Friends of the Earth, that's the group that wants to depopulate drastically. They really hate humanity. Greenpeace, another, oh, what can you say? The IFAW, the Pan-American Health Organization Project Underground, the World Health Organization, World in Action, and the World Wildlife Fund. These are all the peer-reviewed guys, the guys that peer-review all this stuff. The specialists, you know, not one of them's a scientist. They're all got, they've all got political interests. They're all on board with the same agenda. It says, but the IPCC's shamelessness did not end. Their Dr. North has searched the WWF's report high and low. We can find no evidence of a statement to support the IPCC's claim that 40% of the Amazon is threatened by climate change. It says here, logging and farm expansion are a much more plausible threat. What's up with that provides a further worrying long list of the non-peer-reviewed papers from the World Wildlife Fund cited as evidence in the IPCC's fourth assessment report. Time, it asks, uh, for the IPCC to be stripped of its Nobel Peace Prize. I'd say. We can but dream, he says. Update, if you want cheering up, I highly recommend this fascinating article about 12 more glaciers which haven't heard the news about global warming. And, And you can go into that site too and have a good chuckle. But you realize how they're using fear and crisis and utter lies to ramroad the world into a new way of living that's already pre-planned, not a very pleasant way of living, um, with government agencies running our lives from birth to death, and they're all working together. All these different, what you think are different unassociated groups, are all working together on the same agenda, highly funded highly, highly funded by the big foundations and all in coordination with each other by organizational bureaucracies. 
Amazing, isn't it? Back with more after this break. Listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt. This is Cutting Through the Matrix, trying to make sense of all the, the corruption and the planned corruption and the deceit and the lies that were fed every day on a massive scale. These aren't, you know, this is true organized crime when you understand it. There's nothing more organized in the planet than all of these thousands of groups funded by the foundations, which are simply uh, tax relief break outlets for the big international bankers and the richest people on the planet. They run the world. The politicians don't. The politicians take money from them, certainly, uh, in fact, I could just call it bribes. If a corporation obviously gives you money to run for office, uh, you've got you to pay them back somehow. That's a bribe. That's obvious to me. Uh, and, and, of course, all the nonsense they say, well, you know, uh, it's with no strings attached. It's utter. That's for a different dimensional reality somewhere, but not this one. But you understand this thing about right-wing and left-wing is just a game that we go through. Uh, it's a dialectic process. True far-right-wing organization would end up in utter anarchy because it would be no government at all. The extreme of right-wing would be no government. The idea of having right-wing at all was supposed to be as least government interference in anything as possible. That's how it used to be. That was the idea of it. Whereas the uh, the Fabiast and the Communists, which are all the same thing really, um, all funded by the same bankers again, at once, a world run by rules and regulations from, from top to bottom, just stacks and stacks of rules, laws, and regulations. If you have ever read uh, the writings of Sidney Webb, who was a, the writer for the Fabians, he did all the minutes and so on. He worked out uh, all the different rules that should go through, the formulas that bureaucrats now use. Uh, you should read his books. Uh, it's, it's better than any sleeping medication uh, I guarantee you, you will fall asleep. You might have nightmares, but you will fall asleep. That's what uh, left wing's all about, a controlled society by the control freaks, and there's lots of them that join it. And, uh, and nothing to do with helping the poor. You, you don't help the poor by putting everybody in a straitjacket. Uh, this is an article from The Telegraph. It says, and it's the same too with the so-called liberals in the U.S. It's the same darn thing, you know. Labour invents 33 new crimes every month. The Labour government in Britain right now, which are Fabian. Blair was Fabian member. He is a Fabian member, and so is Brown. They're on, they can go up on their Fabian website, and you'll see it for yourself. Labour invents 33 new crimes every month. Labour has introduced 14,300 new offences since taking office in 1997, with Gordon Brown's administration inventing crimes at the rate of more than one a day. Uh, 23rd of January 2010. It says, thanks to labor, it's now illegal to swim in the wreck of the Titanic. Isn't that fantastic law? Did you know that was on the books? Or to sell game birds killed on a Sunday. 
or Christmas Day. Eventualities overlooked by previous governments because no one had thought of them. Labour has made 4,289 activities illegal since the 1997 election at a rate of about one a day, twice the speed with which the previous Conservative government created crimes. And they say that crime doesn't pay, eh? It certainly does for the guys that make them up and draft them up. Gordon Brown was the worst offender with his government inventing 33 new crimes a month. Tony Blair's administration made 27 new offences each month. Some of the more inventive crimes dreamt up by Labour include disturbing a pack of eggs when directed not to by an authorised officer. That's illegal, you understand. And reporting the door of a merchant ship to be closed and locked when it isn't. Labour also introduced laws against activities which would already have been covered by previous legislation, such as causing a nuclear explosion, just in case anybody had ever thought of it. It's actually illegal, so that now you know. Liberal Democrat Home Office spokesman Chris Hewn, who brought the figures to light, will criticise the government's administrative binge in a speech tonight. I hope you realise that each one of these laws costs thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds for the for the procedures to go through and, and all the committees involved. It says, um, so this Chris Hewn is going to say, uh, is, is going to give a, a speech. He says, uh, Labour has spent 12 years suffering from the most acute and prolonged bout of legislative diarrhea, calling the rate of 60 new, nine new home affairs bills in the 12 years staggering. I call it staggering, all right. And that's something, me. This is how they pass their time up there. It's all jobs for the boys, mind you. And they have commissions for this kind of thing. Commissions, commissions, and commissions. Uh, they go on for years. Generally, they pick a, a guy or a judge who can't sit still on the bench anymore because he's killing over because of the booze uh, and give him a commission to look after. And, and they'll do this commission for a few years and get paid a, a few million pounds for doing so per year. And then they write some silly little law into the books. This is how the British Commonwealth works as well. But Britain's an absolute utter mess, you know. Uh, here's, here's the outcome of the, the Fabian, the Fabian uh, forced, forced, I call it forced multiculturalism. Because remember, the whole idea of the British Empire, because of the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the Council on Foreign Relations, was eventually to bring all of those peoples together uh, they could travel freely to each member state and live there. Well, naturally, all the ones from the poor countries want to come to where they think is, is a richer country, and they just flood in. This is why they're flooding in. This is why they're allowed to flood in. It's the policy of the government to flood them in under this this plan that was set up over a 100 years ago, uh, beginning with the Milner Group uh, that merged with the Cecil Road Foundation and became the Royal Institute for International Affairs a forced integration, not just of, of one country, but of, of the world, not just one commonwealth uh, group of nations, but the whole world. They said that, that the British Commonwealth was to be the nucleus for the United Nations, to follow for a united world. This is Britain, a United Nations of crime offenders from 160 countries are in our crowded prisons. Uh, that's one in seven inmates. January the 27th. Labour's, this is again their government's open-door immigration policy, has turned Britain's jails into United Nations of crime, holding inmates from 160 countries. 
The foreign criminals represent one in every seven inmates in prison, which are packed, so packed that British convicts are being released early to make space. They range from murderers and rapists to burglars, paedophiles and drug dealers. There are only 192 member countries of the United Nations, meaning all bar 32 are represented in the British prison system. The top 10 nationalities of the inmates are Jamaica, Nigeria, the Irish Republic, Vietnam, Poland, China, Somalia, Pakistan, India and Romania. There is no evidence to suggest that foreign nationals are more likely to commit crime, rather the huge number of overseas convicts, 11,546 out of 84,000 people in jail, reflects the large number of immigrants living in the UK. The Tory immigration spokesman, Damien Green, who uncovered the figure, said Britain has been reduced to the United Nations of crime. Well, no kidding. Like they didn't see this coming? Who's kidding who? Who is kidding who? You cannot force people together. The whole idea, and the U.S. used to have that right idea, was people would trickle in a bit at a time and adopt into the, adapt into the culture, the prevailing culture, and become American. Now that everybody's told to come in and keep their culture, and you have them all living in different areas, same in, in Canada and, and the big cities in Canada. And then you have the interracial strife. They've already had that in Britain. And roving gangs. Same across France as well, from the riots they had a couple of years ago back there. This is, this is all planned, as I say, a hundred years ago. And they'll use all this mayhem, you see, to say, see, none of you can, can behave. None of you are safe. You're not safe from each other. So I've got to put laws on you all to change the whole way that you live. This is how, what it's been used for. Here's what happened in Britain, too. This is, this is what happens. <laughs> the Mail Online. Boy, a boy who was 13 years old, raped a woman in front of his friends, is jailed for just three years because he said he's sorry. There's the, there's the new way, you see. I'm sorry, yeah. Uh, this is the 26th of January, 2010. A boy of 13 who overpowered a woman then raped her in front of his two friends, will spend just three years locked away for his crimes. He'll be out in a year, and he's getting special treatment. Balal Khan, Balal Khan, (laughs) yo, thought to be one of the youngest convicted rapists in Britain, targeted the 20-year-old as she walked home. He subjected her to a severe beating, then screamed at her, do what I say or I'll kill you. Because he didn't mean that, of course, you understand. Before putting her through the ordeal of a terrifying sex attack. He'd be a big guy, too, for his age. You've seen quite a few of them. Then he stole her bag and phone and even took a call from his victim's boyfriend, to whom he bragged about what he'd done. But after pleading guilty to charges of rape and robbery, it's because he was caught, right? Because he made this phone call to the victim's boyfriend on her cell phone. The teenager was this with the Darwin's award too, obviously. Uh, the teenager was sentenced to just three years because of his age, and because he said he was sorry. Yep. A judge at Stoke and Trent Crown Court lifted a restriction preventing the publication of Can's identity after hearing details of the horrifying attack. Judge heard how Can ran up behind his victim, grabbed her around the neck as she walked through a secluded area near Cobridge on Stoke and Trent one evening in September last year. He punched her and kicked her as she lay on the ground before raping her. 
Robert Price, prosecuting, said she started screaming and attempted to get to her feet. He responded by punching her in the mouth and knocked her back on the ground. He stood over her and kicked her to the side of the face. He started shouting at her and warned her if she struggled, he'd kill her. The court heard two boys aged 10 and 11 who knew Can stood nearby and shouted at him to stop. Afterwards, Can of Cobridge, Stoke and Trent took the victim's purse containing an iPod and mobile phone. He then answered a call from the victim's boyfriend. When asked why he had the phone, Can bragged about what had taken place. He later sold the phone, definitely a Darwin Award here, an iPod, but not before making a call to his parents' home. The mobile calls records led to police straight to Can's address. In a police interview, he told officers he had tripped the victim and stolen her bag. The court-held scientists later found Can's DNA and swabs taken from the victim. Naomi Perry, who was mitigating, said he had shown signs of remorse for what he'd done. Oh, there you go. I'm going to kill you. Uh, yo, going to kill you. He showed remorse for what he'd done. That's remorse, you see. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. He apologized after finally admitting his offense to police and also when he entered his plea at court. We are dealing with a very immature young man, Miss Perry said. Immature. This guy, this guy's a murderer, a potential murderer here and a rapist. He's a rapist. He has been having anger management classes and he feels these have helped him. No kidding. Judge Paul Glenn told Can, now age 14, that his offences were grave and that an adult convicted of the same crimes would have been jailed for eight or nine years. He added it was a terrifying experience for the young woman and she was left psychologically scarred. Well, no kidding, eh? By law, anyone under 18 years old faces a lesser sentence of rape than an adult and those aged 14 or under, the term is reduced even further. Judge Glenn took the unusual step to lift the restriction, preventing the publication of Can's name because of the grave nature of Can's offences. In other words, the world's going to be hearing an awful lot more of Can, and that's rather evidence. That's the world we live in today. You know, in the old days, the ways of dealing with things themselves, even locally, and it was very, very efficient and you didn't have to worry about crimes being re- recommitted because they simply didn't happen. And I'll leave it to your imagination why. But when the state's involved, yet all hell breaks loose, and th- these characters are allowed to reoffend and reoffend and reoffend. It's good for their business, and it's also good for them to say, "Well, you see, society isn't safe. You need more police. You need a police state to take care of all these problems. That's what you need. Make you safe." I get so sick, you know, of this communist, this communist, this world communist Marxist system that they're bringing in, where you can't say what you want to say because there's all these laws and rules and all the rest of it. Why? Oh, you'll offend somebody. Someone will be offended somewhere. Oh, you mustn't hurt someone's feelings, even though they admit to the United Nations that no one has the right to be offended anymore in a multicultural society. How can you? I mean, technically, someone from some part of, of, of some jungle can technically do some dance in front of you, start naked in the middle of, 
some busy city center. And if that's their religion, you, you cannot be offended because that is their religion. I'm not kidding. This is the craziness it all comes in down to. Utter madness. Utter madness. And there's no end to it in sight, you know. And then eventually nothing works anymore because nothing can work anymore. You can't even hire people uh, that have good qualifications anymore. Here's an article here from Mail Online. Employer told not to post an ad for reliable workers because it discriminates against unreliable applicants. 27th of January. When it comes to hiring staff, there are plenty of legal pitfalls employers need to watch out for these days. So recruitment agency boss Nicole Mamo was especially careful to ensure her advert for hospital workers did not offend on grounds of race, age or sexual orientation. However, she hadn't reckoned on discriminating against a wholly different section of the community, the completely useless. Nicole Mamo, director of the Devonwood Recruitment, was stunned when a job centre in Thetford, Norfolk, said she could not include the phrase reliable and hardworking in her advert. When she ran the ad past the job centre, she was told she couldn't ask for reliable and hardworking applicants because it could be offensive to unreliable people. <laughs> Oh dear. oh dear. All the unreliable ones go into politics, by the way. In my 15 years in recruitment, I haven't heard anything so ridiculous, Mrs. Mamo said yesterday. If the matter wasn't so serious, I'd be laughing out loud. Unfortunately, it's extremely alarming. I need people who are hardworking and reliable. Well, you're darn right. You know, you're darn, especially working, you're wanting hospital workers where life and death matters and all the rest of it. You tend to want efficient, reliable people. You know, you, the, the patients feel a bit better about that too. She says, unfortunately, it's extremely alarming. I need people who are hardworking, reliable, and I'm pleased to discriminate in that way. Discriminate means to choose. Use your judgment. That's what it means. You know? Oh, dear, dear, dear. Uh, back with more after this break. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix, just going through how ridiculous it is today uh, because of all the political correctness, which is all Marxian uh, political correctness under the guise of equality. It's nothing to do with equality, it means breaking everything down until nothing works anymore. And it causes angst and frustration where there should be none at all. So the simplest things uh, just get you all tight and hot and bothered. Uh, because of all the rules and regulations and silliness and stupidity of it all. This, one, this article I'm reading here is about a woman who was told she couldn't put in the word reliable in an ad because it, would, it, was, it was discriminating against folk who were not reliable, they were unreliable. No kidding. It says here, when she put through the ad through this particular firm, and she wanted people to work in hospitals, cleaners and so on, uh, she says um, she was transferred uh, to a woman who said the wording was unacceptable. Uh, so she had to change it and put out reliable. 
Mrs. Mambo, a, a divorced mother of two, added, I had to battle to have must-speak English, which they also said was discriminatory. In the end, I had to write must-speak English due to health and safety reasons because they're dealing with hazardous materials. So you've got to go into the books and get a lawyer to find out so they can find some other law they put on the books. They can get around that law that they put on the books uh, so that you can just go get, a, get an ad out there. Right? The diktat was widely criticized yesterday. A spokesman for the campaign against political correctness said, thank goodness there is a campaign about it. This is absolutely ridiculous. Of course, people want reliable workers and employers should be asked, uh, be able to ask for them. If they can't advertise for what they want, then the system is broken. Well, that's the whole point of it, isn't it? Is to break the system. And then the Quality and Human Rights Commission added, this is in no way in breach of any discrimination law. Mrs. Mamo should consider very unreliable any advice that she may have received implying that this aspect of her advert was discriminatory. Of course, they'd be the first one to come down on her. Yes, the Department of Her Work and Pensions said it could not comment on the conversation Mrs. Mamo had with a member of staff at Teltford. However, a spokesman insisted her original advert had run on the Job Centre Plus website and on a computer terminal in branches. So, that's how silly it gets. And, and how it gets even silly is, is that people become scared of all the laws and regulations and they start to censor themselves. And double-think everything. So simple logic goes into non-logic, you see, to try to make things work in a politically correct society. It's like I said yesterday, if you want to change society, please change something in the surrounding of the creature, and you alter their behavior. TV, radio, iPods, cell, cell phones, whatever, you alter the behavior of the creature, put in Cameras everywhere, they alter their behavior themselves. They start to self-police. Self-policing is very important. It's a term used at the United Nations for their brave new world they're bringing down. They're bringing in a world where we all police ourselves because we will know we're being watched every second and every minute of every day. We're being trained as animals by something being put into your environment that wasn't there before. It's not just to watch you, believe you me. We're being trained like animals, and nothing's working anymore. Things are getting crazier and crazier. And hold on, folks, to your hats, because it's going to go on a roller coaster into an even more crazier time ahead as they really get going. From Hamish myself in Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your God's go with you. <laughs>